1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hue virtual chat. We are now in February. We dodged the bullet of January and hey, according to my calculations, two, maybe three months of cold, hard winter weather. But hey, doesn't matter. It seems like it's Groundhog Day. And actually, yes, today is Groundhog Day. So that might be our first topic of discussion. So let's open the doors to all of our lovely ladies. Joining us once again, I see Linda. I feel like I'm from the Mad or from Romper Room. I see Linda. I see Kirsten, I see Charlotte, and oh, I see Susie. And I would like to welcome Sheila Harris. So welcome, Sheila, to the Hue Virtual Chat. Uh, You are on mute, so you can just unmute yourself. Am I still on mute? No, you're unmuted now. We can hear. Perfect. Yes. Good, good morning and happy Groundhog Day, ladies. Did you realize that? <laughs> and doesn't it kind of seem like Groundhog Day because we all have the same background. <laughs> Susie's nodding her head. Oh, hi. Hi, Linda. No. Um, so I want to actually first uh, thank Linda, who has connected us with Sheila, Sheila Harris. And Sheila, I know you've got an interesting title and I have to look down at my notes. Senior Digital Transformation Consultant with Capstone Ridge. Um, I I don't know about the rest of you, but I kind of need a little bit of an explanation on that <laughs> title.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a mouthful, yes. It's probably my longest title that I've had to date. But uh, yeah, basically what I do is I help businesses make changes to their organization. And a lot of that has to do with systems, of course, right? Because... Nowadays, if we're working in business, we're using a system. So that's kind of the digital transformation part. Um, So a lot of what I do is we have manual processes, and I work to automate those processes and make sure that whatever system they're using is supporting the activities of the business. Uh, But there's also a lot of like people stuff too, like change management type stuff and project management. Um, Yeah, so it's, what I like about it is I get to do a lot of different things, like on every single engagement and at any organization. So it keeps me very interested, keeps me busy.
1: And my goodness, I mean, even pre-COVID, there were a lot of businesses changing, right? And then I don't know, I guess quickly, how did 2020 factor into your line of business? Had it oh, like yeah, it
2: huge adoption on um, stuff like, you know, Microsoft Teams, on using Zoom, all of those, you know, the the working remotely business. Yeah, it's been a huge boom uh, in the past year. Everyone's been really, really busy. Um, to be clear, a lot of businesses, like they had plans to sort of, you know, go to remote work to make things more automated. But, um, you know, the pandemic was a real catalyst for all of that happening very quickly. So,
1: Well, and it was interesting, too, because I did when I um, did the initial invite and what I wanted to sort of talk, kind of segues into that. And it's about biases and biases, you know, by the water cooler, talk in the office, toxic energy. We've all heard kind of that and have experienced it, especially in an office atmosphere. Um, so I'm going to go, yeah, start with you, Sheila. Now yeah. we're kind of in this world, yeah, where we're working remotely. So for some that had, you know, bad experiences and whatever in the office, for some working at home is a safe place. But then again, too, it has a different kind of effect though, right, on, on people. And so I'm going to start with you on, I, it's an open-ended topic. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of laugh, you mentioned that you kind of did a. Um, a presentation on bias too as well. So um, fill us in on, I guess, we'll start with the office biases, men, women, gender-based, you know, ethnicity, all of that. Yeah, you
2: know, it, it is an interesting question. Um, so I uh, am Indigenous and I work in tech and I have for 20 years worked in IT and, um, you know, I myself have been sort of uh, biased against in any number of scenarios. Um But where I really kind of worry about is is what my biases are, because as far as I'm concerned, that's really the only part that I have control over. So, you know, um, a lot of my journey has been about recognizing my biases and and making sure that my decisions are not based on them. Uh, As far as the changes that we've had with working remotely, one of the things that every organization has struggled with is maintaining that social aspect right because when you're at work you know you're in the lunchroom you're heating up your lunch you know you start chatting with the people around you kind of thing and the whole water cooler conversation and everything so you have a lot more opportunities just to you know naturally interact with people so uh in the pandemic with remote working you have to make a lot more of an effort to be social you have to specifically go out of your way you know um to you know call people up and just say hey how's it going you know how's your day you know um and then even simple stuff like, you know, how was your weekend? If you ask people, how was your weekend? Now it's like, it's exactly the same as every other day. You know, <laughs> like What's a weekend, you know? So, so yeah, there's been a lot of like reduction of sort of the natural opportunities that we have to interact with people. So you have to make a lot of effort. And, you know, I've seen a lot of organizations that have made really good strides in doing that, that really go out of the way to make sure that there's this social aspect. I've seen organizations that have like, you know, Friday meetings and everyone, you know, grabs a drink or whatever and gets on Zoom at like, you know, 430 on a Friday and, and chats about stuff. And, you know, um, so so as long as the organization is committed to making that effort, you can still be, you know, inclusive and and have people there. Um, but I, I do think that it makes people that are, say, new to the organization or maybe not as outgoing or as social, I, I think it makes it difficult for them. And then in terms of how the industry's gone with, say, things like training and workshops and that, there's just been a huge influx of people that are putting on workshops remotely. Um, So it's kind of, it's good and bad. The good news is, is that, you know, uh, people that are more introverted, they're more likely to go to a virtual workshop or a virtual training session or a virtual networking event, you know, where they can just kind of hide, you know, hide hang back on their screen and maybe not interact too much, but just see what goes on. So that's a good thing. Um, on the, on the downside, you don't, you know, see people in person anymore. So, uh, you know, it's, it's again, a bit more of a struggle. So what I have seen though, is that people that are in the industry are making much more of an effort to reach out to their networks on a regular basis. And, you know, just on LinkedIn, just, you know, talk to somebody and say, Hey, how's it going? You know, I haven't seen you in forever kind of a thing. So, you know, I think as long as you're making the effort, I think there's definitely opportunities, but I, I do think that, you know, um, the introverts, people that are more introverted, people that are not naturally inclined to be reaching out to to people, I think they're struggling a bit, right? So.
1: No doubt. Um, Yeah. And I just want to quickly ask, uh, because you'd mentioned just earlier, you saw the need to put your own biases in check. So how do you do that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, step one is becoming aware of biases, uh, like what your biases are. And for me, I've actually had some, you know, epiphanies or revelations throughout my career. So, you know, early on in my career, I was I tried very hard to fit in with the rest of the IT department, uh, working in very Caucasian male-dominated IT departments. Uh, so I would go to work and wear jeans and T-shirts, which I'm not super comfortable in. I'm a girly girl, and I like to wear makeup, and I like jewelry, and I like high heels and skirts, and you know, that's the kind of thing that I like. So. I remember specifically one event uh, I was working for a consulting company and they brought in consultants from their other branches in Canada because we're all going to do this training session and we had this meet and greet and everyone went around and said something about themselves and there was this one uh, woman there and she said you know I'm into fashion and I'm into makeup and I was horrified because you know I'm into fashion and makeup too, but it's not something you can say, you know, when you work in IT or whatever, right? (laughs) So it was kind of funny because that thought just bounced around in my head for days and I couldn't figure out what I was upset about. And then I realized, well, I have a bias against girly girls that work in IT. And I was like, how is that possible? I'm one of them, right? So, um, you know, it's, it's been moments like that where things kind of stick with me and I'm like, I'm not comfortable with something that just happened or I'm not comfortable with my response to it. And that's really been the trigger for me to question, you know, my biases and to realize that I have them. And the beauty of doing that is that once you know you have that, then you can always, you know, look at your decision making process. Or if somebody says something, you know, and you have a negative response to it, you can always go, OK, whoa, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that how I actually feel or is this, you know, just my bias talking? Right. So, um, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been interesting. The other part of it, too, is that like I, I one of my major biases is against uh, Caucasian males who are older that have stay-at-home wives that manage IT resources. So, in my 20-year career in IT, I have had a number of extremely bad experiences with this particular demographic. Um, you know, so that's kind of given me this this viewpoint of I'm very cautious around this type of resource. But on the flip side, like my most important mentor, he's that guy. He is a stay-at-home wife. He's you know, manages IT resources, he's a white guy, he's older, um, and he's been like, you know, my rock, right, in my career. I've gone to him many times for advice. So if I had not addressed that bias within myself, if I had not given him a chance, if I had assumed that he was going to put me down and talk over me and not recognize my value, I wouldn't have had the relationship with him that I've had, you know. So I actually think it's really important to think about bias from what are my biases? Because you can't do a whole lot about someone else's biases, you know? Um, one thing that I do uh, talk about, so you mentioned I did that keynote presentation for the um, BTM talent mashup uh, a couple months ago, and that's my dog, Moose. I
1: know, he's so cute. <laughs>
2: he's very big. Oh. Um, so when I did this keynote, uh, they were very interested in the bias topic because there's a lot of newcomers in that group, right? Mm-hmm. There's just a ton of newcomers in all IT programs uh, in Manitoba, and they were very curious about the bias piece. So what I do say about that is I talk about the benefit of the doubt. So if somebody is, you know, maybe a little brusque with you, if they're, you know, sending you an email that's, you know, very pointed, if they're not super friendly to you. If you don't give them the benefit of the doubt and just assume that they have a bad day, then basically you're taking that and putting it on yourself and it has nothing to do with you. Right. And even if they are biased against you, it still has nothing to do with you. Right. Because it's, it's a bias and it, it's not valid in terms of who you are. So I definitely preach this concept of benefit of the doubt. If you go around and you give people the benefit of the doubt, then there's a lot less, you know, for me, mental anguish that takes place where you're questioning you know, why does this person have it, you know, in for me? Why are they against me? Is it because I'm this demographic? Is it because I'm, you know, this gender? Um, If you just give everyone the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, well, I guess they're having a bad day, you know, that doesn't have to do with me. Then I, for me, that makes life a lot easier. So that's kind of my whole perspective on other people's biases and on kind of my biases.
1: Wow.
2: Well,
1: yeah,
3: I had a quick question for you. How did you, nice to see you, by the way. How did you overcome that bias against yourself about being a girly girl? Like how (laughs) I'm like, I'm spending the month in my social media and stuff, writing about self-acceptance and self-love. And we often reject parts of ourselves, you know, like we are like, we try and distance ourselves from our shadow sides, you know, our negative emotions, but we also distance ourselves from some of our identities. So how did you, how did you come about to accept that part of you and rock the makeup and the uh, jewelry and throw well, on the high heels? That's that's a really good
2: question. And for me, it was actually one of my role models. So um, there's this woman that I had a dotted line reporting relationship to because Uh, I just had a skill set that was very valuable to her department, right? And I ended up doing like 90% of my work was for her. And she was very well put together and she wore these beautiful suits and makeup and jewelry. And she had been with the organization for like 20 years and she was so well respected and well regarded and looked to for leadership. And she was amazing. And, you know, I thought, well, if she can do that, if she can, you know, wear her high heels and her jewelry and her makeup and everybody still respects her because she's competent well, why can't I do that too? So for me, it was really, you know, looking around and actually seeing somebody that looked like me, because that's been a big thing for me. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have been, you know, I started off in a very technical role and I worked in very, very technical roles for at least 10 years. The last 10 years have been more about project management, change management, business analysis. But initially I was a software developer and At any given meeting, I would look around the room and there was only one of me. Uh, I've been in so many meeting rooms where it's me and 10 dudes, right? Um, And that's difficult. Like That makes it hard for me to use my voice. And I've I've had meetings where I'm just terrified that someone's going to ask me a question because I feel like if I, you know, say the wrong word or use the wrong phrase, that everyone's going to assume that I have no idea what I'm doing, that I'm incompetent, right? So um yeah it was really important for me just to see somebody else that you know looked like me or you know looked like i wanted to be um and it was really her it was really her being a role model and no matter what she wore i mean i'm sure she could have showed up in jeans and a t-shirt and she still would have been well respected because she was just so you know competent right and Mm
3: -hmm. capable
2: so i don't know i think the role model piece is really really important um it has been for me certainly you know
3: interesting
1: yeah Mm -hmm it yeah. you know, definitely needs to be. Susie. Actually, Susie, I want to throw it to you uh, talking about biases, how they're formed, I mean, there's many different ways. Um, but now seeing social media, and of course we've seen so many examples of whatnot of um, information and gossip. How, how much does gossip play into our biases?
0: Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, I, I think that's I think that's that can definitely be a good part of, of it as well. In terms of if you haven't had any kind of firsthand experience yourself and you're only hearing these stories secondhand, of course, that can kind of inform your um, your framework and how you're how you're viewing the situation. Um, but that being said, you know, like like Sheila said, all of us have had really great bosses of both genders. Okay, like it's not, it's not necessarily a gender thing. It's not even necessarily about these biases, but what we have to realize is that in the systems that are set up, one particular uh, type will always get the benefit of the doubt. And that's the problem that exists in these, in these systems and structures, right? As opposed to, you know, like Sheila says, looking around a room and seeing a ton of women around this table of IT specialists or project managers or project managers, whatever it might be, there is not that diversity and there is not that representation. So I think it's really important that the best way to sort of um, move past these biases is to bring that representation to the forefront in any industry and whatever you're in. And I mean, we're seeing this now, you know, this pandemic has really kind of brought to the forefront um, the struggles of traditional types of um, gender uh, well, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is, but like these typical female jobs, okay? So things like nurses and teachers and have been typically dominated by females. And we've seen throughout this pandemic and throughout these you know, media stories and things like that, that these are the groups that are not being listened to, right? They're on the front lines every day, seeing what's happening in hospitals and personal care homes and teachers and schools and dealing with students, but they're not necessarily getting this, the same kind of response they would be getting if they were, say... A male-dominated profession. So those are the kind of lenses that we should be looking at, looking through to see how our biases are affecting how we view narratives and how we view others' point of views and how that informs progress and moving past and moving through uh, how we can change that, how can I say, whatever systems and structures are in place that keep that, um, that one sort of type in power in that, in that, uh, place.
1: And does change start with our kids?
0: I think it starts with us too, though. Like, I think, you know, like Sheila said, we need to ask ourselves, like, where does this fear, where does this opinion, where does this, um, Uh, reaction come from. And by being introspective and looking at sort of what we have already experienced and how that has informed our biases and our fears, we can sort of reason our way out of why we feel that way and say, you know what, I need to reframe how I look at this. And through that reframing work, we can understand how we got to that position and then how to not get there again and use those lessons to yes, inform our children and, and other people who are still struggling with that. But I think it's something that you can learn at any age, really. Yeah. Yeah. There are lots of people who, you know, whether you're 20, you're 40, 60, you're still working through those biases. And it's something that we are not necessarily cognitive of all the time because they are insidious and they are just kind of there underlying in situations. So we really need to do some work, bo- both emotional, you know, psychological, and really kind of take a look at where we're coming from and where we want to be and how we can work through that with our emotions and, and of course, reasoning.
1: You know, that's the whole thing. Oh Linda I was just I I noticed yes you had mentioned your this month is on self love and and respect and Susie talked about it so our biases based on our fear
3: our biases is on our fear um you know I think I I agreed with what Susie was saying is that I think biases are we 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 live in a framework that we're often unaware of. You know, we live in and grew up in a system that was patriarchal and racist, but it's like we weren't aware of it. We we didn't shine a light on that. And, you know, we didn't listen to voices like Susie and Sheila were saying that like we deliberately did not listen to people on the front lines. We didn't listen to voices of uh, immigrant people, women, people of color, Black people, Indigenous people. We the They, they weren't at the table <laughs> to even listen to the voices. Um, so I think uh, bias exists everywhere. It exists within us and the more we shine a light on it and the, um, the more we are willing to, I love this theme, is to admit our own biases, the stronger, uh, the better chance we have of dismantling the framework that supports only one person's, you know, white male rise to power. If we can look at our own and realize um, this is how we grew up, we have a lot of unlearning to do. We have a lot of awareness. Um, and it can come, uh, that can only come if you can accept that part of yourself. You know, like, it's funny that we were talking about this right at the beginning, is that um, uh, that rejection of the dark sides of ourselves. You know, we all strive so hard, especially the women I know, strive so hard to be the good girl, Right. We strive to be compassionate. We strive to be, um, you know, nice and caring and understanding and responsible. And we don't like to look at the sides of ourselves that are dark and um, petty and jealous and resentful and uh, um, that have biases, you know, uh, within us. We have biases absolutely, we all have these biases. Um, So if we can look at ourselves a bit more as a whole person, and accept those parts of ourselves, you know, uh, within ourselves, accept that, you know, um, that that doesn't make you a bad person, but to become aware of it and, um, and shed some some self-love and allow ourselves to be whole people I think then we have a much better chance of change and transformation about those parts that uh, definitely need it which is recognizing bias making sure people are asked uh to the table who's doing the asking even to come to the table um do we need to make a bigger table (laughs) do we need to put microphones at every you know at every seat like how how can we change the framework that we live in so that uh, uh, everyone is, everyone's included? That's, yeah. So I don't know if that answered your question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just made me want to go yell and scream and yeah, do everything that we, yeah, you're right. You know, trying to be perfect, trying to be good, empathetic, sympathetic, caregiver, whatever. Sometimes I just want (laughs) to go away, but that's not quite it, but. Um, Oh, good. Charlotte and Christian are back. So, bias. In your realm of mental health, it's, that's like a, it's a huge thing. It's, it's huge. And, 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 you know, and one that, you know, yes, granted, we're trying to slowly fix. Um, But yeah, like the whole bias, and, and the fear of mental health issues and, and having someone that's, you know, not quite right and everything like that. Um, I guess, what are some of your words of, of wisdom, especially during this year of COVID Charlotte and and Kirsten dealing with families and, you know, um, it's a, it's a hard slippery slope on both sides, both for the person with mental health issues and for their loved ones and family members, not to, try to be by bi- and yeah and how can you be unbiased as a parent <laughs> oh that's like about 10 questions i'm sorry <laughs> okay you can go have your glass of wine charlotte
4: <laughs> oh you know what for, i and i'm gonna switch it back to kirsten for, um yeah. one of the things we spent a lot a lot of time in biases in our training and um biases aren't out of fear i mean we all have biases i mean i'll say to you puppies are kittens yeah. you know each of you guys has a. Are you a puppy or a kitten person? Um, that's not a fear. Um, are you a salty or a savory? I mean, this, this is just what makes up who you are. Um, I love what Sheila was acknowledging that we all have them and just being aware of them. So, um, so I just I just wanted to tease that fear thing yeah. out of it because you know I don't want you to think it's always a scary thing. Biases. It's just that's just makes up. You know part of exactly. who you are. Um, and it's just acknowledging, like Sheila said, um, where they're coming up in your day-to-day life um, and where they come up in our peer training as well. When you're supporting somebody, um, just being mindful of you know, how, you're, how you're, your worldview is, how you're approaching your biases when you're supporting um, the family or the individual. Um, and uh, Kirsten, do you wanna address the family component?
5: Yeah, I really like this topic, I have to say that uh, first off, and um, we don't talk about this enough, and uh, the timing is perfect, uh, Charlotte and I are running training right now, and uh, this afternoon, the chapter's on unconscious biases, and <laughs> so I was reviewing that this morning, and last night it was on uh, the worldview, right, which brings us, we all have our own worldview to to uh, the biases, and historically, um because of the do we have these unconscious biases. And um, I completely um, agree. I love the tagline um, benefit of the doubt uh, because, you know, for, for me, it's about um, just, um, first of all, in a peer world where you are doing family peer support, so you're one parent working with another parent. And this is where our training comes around. Um, um, and this training specifically is a group facilitator. So it's a parent working with a group that, um, you know, of, of family members that are struggling with somebody in their, their home or their family unit that has a mental health struggle. So what comes to the table are all of these um, diverse groups often, like everyone has different thinking, different a different worldview, especially when it comes to mental health. So we talk a lot about the facilitator and the, the person in that peer role offering support. I mean, you really gotta have your, your uh, unconscious bias in check. And to say, because we often get this, I don't have any biases. And then Charlotte will say, kittens are
4: puppies. (laughs) They're all
5: there, right? Um, And, you know, in our line of work, um, there's no room for that. Um, But we also have had the luxury of having some really exceptional experiences um, where, um, I mean, there's, you know, those unconscious biases get really shaken and you're proven so wrong. And I love those moments. Um, when it comes to mental health and family members, there's a lot of interesting things how people view that. Um, you know, even like I'm I'm not even kidding. Six years ago, it was easier to say um, my kid's a real asshole than to say. Sorry, can I say that?
1: Yeah, than you just
5: did. Was, you just know, <laughs> did. Than to actually say, um, you know, you're um, struggling with you know, people, people chose the first option. It, it just happened all the time. So, you know, educating from that peer lens of what perhaps is happening to a loved one and having that conversation to just put it, that information on the table and hopefully that individual um, picks up and takes what is gonna work for them out of that conversation. And, and hopefully their biases uh, shift and change somewhat. Um, but we work with that all the time.
2: Yeah, oh,
5: I. yet
0: um, If I can, if I can add something too, I think that one of the things, like what Sheila's uh, story really kind of tells us all and informs us all about how we can work through these, is that she asked herself the question, where does this come from where does my perception or my view of this situation come from and she was able to identify you know how she got to that place and because she was able to do that she was able to identify her way out of that place as well and i think that's really important is that you know we we come especially now in this social media age and people talk about cancel culture and all these things And it's just like that's really just about accountability Okay, it's about the ability to be able to ask yourself, did I contribute pain and suffering to this situation? And if I did, I need to fix it. I don't need to double down and say I didn't do anything. And one of the greatest, um, greatest things that I just saw a couple of weeks ago was that if somebody tells you that you hurt them, you don't get to decide that you didn't. So that's a really important thing to work through as, as you look at these biases and wherever they're happening, whether it's your personal life, your professional life self-reflection and introspection are really important to understand about how you got to a place and of course how you're going to leave that place behind and go to a better more educated more informed place and one of the things that i i tweeted out a couple months ago was that you know we talk about doubling down which is when you know you you won't admit that you're wrong you will you know you're going to die on that hill and people need to be more willing to humble down okay which is when you say I made a mistake. I'm sorry. You know, I, I was, I was, I was mistaken. I had so much pressure on me or I didn't realize the situation at the time, whatever the apology is, however you want to justify it to yourself. There's nothing wrong with saying I was wrong. And now that I have more information, I can make a new opinion. I can make a new decision. I can move away from that place that was not comfortable for me and move to a place where I have more understanding and can share that understanding and that's what Sheila did and that's really what we all need to do in that situation regardless of when it comes about because it will come about like Kirsten and Charlotte are saying we confront these every single day. But that takes emotional work right you have to be willing to do the emotional work and the psychological work and you have to be willing to be wrong sometimes and to say i need to learn more about this and there's nothing wrong with that we are all works in progress
4: and i did that to the, and, she, yes. and since you always have such great great things to say and, and i guess it's just allowing ourselves to sit in that discomfort. So when Sheila was telling her story, she sat in that discomfort over, you know, what was coming up for her around the woman who dressed nicely and, and wore makeup. And um, it's allowing all of us to sit in that discomfort and and, and question why is it happening for us? Um, and that's where you're gonna see real growth in, in yourself and, um, and, and how, you know, you can support yourself, but also going forward and supporting others too. So, um, yeah, thank you, Susie. And thank you, Sheila, for that. And it's nice seeing you, Sheila. Uh, (laughs) Sheila was um, in some awesome training uh, with Tech Manitoba that uh, Robin and I were part of, and and she was a huge contributor to it. Uh, Robin talks uh, super fondly of her time chatting with you over what it's like to be in women in tech. So.
2: Thank you. I, uh, I got so much out of that training. Um, the peer support piece is really important to me. I've been formally trained in coaching. I've been formally trained in mentoring. Peer support is a different ball of wax. And it was sort of, honestly, for me, it was a bit of a gap. So I'm really happy that I took that training. So I do want to say something about this notion of bias in terms of how do we get past it? So for me, you know, it's been when something sticks in my brain or something's bouncing around, I know that there's something there that I have to look at, right? And and I haven't always been that aware, but you know, my... In my older wiser years you know i'm at that point where if something sticks in my brain i know i need to look at it when i think about bias really how we do away with bias is kind of this notion of diversity and accepting diversity so diversity is a huge topic in i.t and pretty much in every industry and here's the thing here's how we sell diversity and bias is we talk about the roi the return on investment because that's a real thing Um, The thing with business is you can't just go to a business and say, do this because it's the right thing. Uh, We'd love to be able to do that, but that doesn't work. What we have to say is do this because, you know, there's a um, a return associated to it. So uh, there's two stories I'd like to tell about this ROI for diversity. And one of them has to do with the seatbelt. So when the seatbelt was created, and it was created by a woman, um, and it actually she tried to patent it but you know nobody was going to put it in until her patent had expired. So once the patent expired the car companies decided to put it in, which I think is really interesting and I don't know if that would have happened had she been a man, but for whatever reason they completely wanted to cut her out of, you know, making any money on this invention. But when they first started testing the seatbelt, they tested it with 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 men and not women. So what happened is when they rolled it out, it didn't work for women at all because women are shorter and they're smaller and You know, they had to go back to the drawing board and rework the the whole thing entirely. And it cost them a ton of money. Now, if they had had a diverse testing group, including, you know, women, that wouldn't have happened. The other story has to do with Mattel and this Barbie doll that they released. It was a talking Barbie doll. And you pull a string and she'll say, you know, one of whatever six phrases. Now, one of the phrases that they programmed her with was math is hard. Um, And, you know, that, yeah, yeah, (laughs) I know, right? you know, so, so what happened was they didn't have any female testers, I guess, or people approving this product that were female. It went to market and there was a huge backlash against Mattel and, and their stock share actually, like the cost of their stock dropped over it. People were, were really upset, you know, um, because it felt like it was, you know, disparaging to women and their ability to do math. Like when you have a GI Joe doll and you pull on a string, he doesn't say math is hard, you know, Um, it is hard, fine. But like, it just it felt wrong and it cost them a ton of money it did and they had to do a whole bunch of apologies and this and that so so when i think about bias you can remove bias by working with diverse teams because when you're working with diversity you can see how everybody contributes and everyone contributes differently but it's all you know completely valid and if you don't it's going to cost you there is a return on investment associated to you know not having a bias and to incorporating diversity into your teams. So now I wonder how we take that concept of ROI and apply it to other fields like mental health. Like chances are, I think if, if you are not biased against the people that you're working with, you get better results across the board, right? But like, I guess, how do we document that? How do we communicate that? How do we prove that to everybody and show them there is an ROI to removing bias from your situation?
3: Sheila, you know, I the the example that you were giving about the Barbie, um, and, you know, we, we talked about, you know, having a seat at the table. What, what it makes me wonder, though, is, you know, you had said um, maybe there weren't any women in the room. Well, maybe there were. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily, I, I know plenty of women who, um, who are not feminist or who, who would agree with that statement, math is hard, wouldn't see the problem in it. Um, So it could be that there there could have been women in the room and they would have agreed with the corporate culture that they were in and say, yeah, that sounds good. Put that out there. Or they were in the room and they didn't feel comfortable confronting the people in the room and speaking up like, uh, you know, I know I'm sure that everyone here has, not spoken up at different points in their lives been in a meeting something was happening okay maybe not all of you but I can speak for myself I won't even put that on all of you I know there's been many times where something's been going down and I didn't feel like I could speak up and couldn't deal with the fact that you know um, what if somebody's mad at me what if somebody doesn't like me what if they you know what if I'm cast out of the group and you know i'm you know i think there's so many things that go into why we don't speak up um so i think even what i had said before having people at the table is one thing but then empowering people to speak up um being okay with as what charlotte said you know sitting in discomfort um sitting in the discomfort that yeah, I might say things that people don't like and uh, somebody in this room might not like me. And I'm going to say it anyway, uh, because I believe in this. I believe so st- strongly in this uh, value. Um, that's a whole other set of uh, life skills that uh, we we all need. And I know it's taking me many years to get to the point where I, uh, I'm i comfortable speaking up and I'm comfortable um. You know, if people have problems with what I say or if uh, people object, um, being able to own that and and still carry on. You know, before when I was younger, if I thought somebody was, um, um, you know, not liking me or thinking that, you know, who does she think she is saying that, you know, all of those things would stop me in my tracks. And I wouldn't move forward. And it took me a long time to get to a place where, you know, I could sit in that discomfort and uh, speak up and, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's something that I see that, um, yeah, I know that that was a struggle for me. And I'm, I, I, that is something that is one of my big reasons for trying to help other women in business or in workplaces, you know, get that kind of confidence to, um, take those risks. Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's, it definitely is self-confidence. Sheila, I want to go back when, um, when you did your transformation from uh, t t-shirt and jeans to girly girl and earrings and necklaces and makeup, what was the reaction or did you care about the reaction from your male counterparts? Like, or it was just like this new self-confidence. It didn't matter. Well, it
2: actually had to do with the fact that I changed actual locations within the office. So um, I had formerly like my actual reporting relationship was to the director of IT and um, I was in the IT department. And then, uh, yeah, basically what happened was uh, my dotted line reporting boss decided to move me over to her department. Um, And it was once I was there and and that department was kind of gender balanced. It was like half women, half men.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and and once I was there, I just felt so much more comfortable, uh, you know, to to be myself, it was still scary. The first day I showed up in a skirt, I'll tell you, I was, I was really nervous. You know, I thought that, um, I don't know what I thought, I guess people would make fun of me or something. But I got a lot of compliments. And I got a lot of encouragement from everybody in that department saying, Oh, well, you look really nice, you know, blah, 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 right. So it, it, it went a long way. So really, for me, it was like kind of being taken out of this environment where there was Mm -hmm. well when I started there was like 30 white dudes you know our 30 people 28 of them were white dudes and then two of them were not and it just felt really it was a really homogenous environment and they literally all dressed exactly the same it was jeans and a polo shirt tucked into the jeans with a belt with a pager with a cell phone attached to the belt like that was and runners that was specifically the uniform in that department so you know I, I just stuck out like a sore thumb to begin with right um and yeah, the thought of wearing a skirt in that department just, you know, just scared the hell out of me. Right. So, (laughs) so yeah, really, it was actually just going to a safe space, basically, like going to a place where I felt like, you know, I I could be myself a a little more myself. And of course, you know, my role model who inspired me. So yeah. Yeah. And Tracy, if we can, I just really
0: want to touch on what, uh, what Sheila's saying here too. I mean, this, I'm assuming sheila you identify as female and so dressing as you identify was not a big deal for you in your workplace. but what if this was somebody who was not accustomed to you know presenting as they identify mm-hmm. and doing that at work can be very stressful and very uh, it puts you in a tremendous place of vulnerability right And even if you don't have necessarily the hr support or the support of your superior like Sheila had those kind of things, I think what we really need to work, through when it comes to biases and whatever it might be, is that we need to work at accepting people for who they are, no matter where we are. Mm-hmm. And that means that, you know, I wish Robin were here because I'm sure she could speak to that as well, but that we're, we're talking about a cis female who was just afraid to dress, you know, with some makeup on at her job. And that's not a big deal, you would think, in the traditional workplace, whatever it might be. So, I mean, if you, if you take that script a bit further and somebody who's not being... Uh, you know, feeling safe to do that at their work. That's what we need to work through. That's what we need to uh, build for other people is a place where everybody can be their authentic selves and be accepted with dignity and respect, no matter what.
1: Nope. Agreed. Agreed. Sheila, want to comment back on that? Uh, Yeah, I I couldn't agree
2: more. Like, uh, I... So I I got into this mode of dressing very feminine and, you know, uh, dresses and high heels and and all this. And it didn't, you know, it didn't detract one bit from my, you know, technical capabilities. Um, I actually set a record for promotion within my first job. Most people got promoted after four years. I got promoted after two because I worked really, really hard. Uh, But the next organization that I went to the IT manager, there literally took me inside and said, you know, this is uh this is an IT organization, Sheila, how do you ever expect to fit in when you dress like that? And it was like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to use my big brain uh, to fit in around here. So I was really, you know, it honestly that's one of the hardest things I ever did. I just, for whatever reason, I was feeling really flippant in the moment. I was feeling very confident and I just kind of ran with it, but absolutely like the thought that, you know, even me, like I, I'm a cis woman and I didn't feel comfortable dressing like myself, dressing the way that I wanted to. I mean, that's really sad. And, and I I know some, some trans people, uh, some trans women and fully supportive of, of, you know, everything that they are and everything that they do. And, you know, I, I can't, I, I can't even imagine how reluctant and uncomfortable they must feel. So I guess the only thing that we can all do is I guess just be supportive in the environment, right? Like, I'm a very supportive person in general. I, I, you know, I have a quality of being helpful and supportive. So I I just go out of my way to make people feel comfortable. And I just wish that everybody would do that. But I don't think we're all the way there yet. Um, And I I do think that, you know, some people are going to find themselves in the situation where how do you expect to fit in here because you're too feminine or because you're not like everybody else? And, you know, that makes me sad. I want to get past that. Uh, like I have a 16 year old daughter and she wants to be a game developer and game development is one of the most toxic it environments for females that you can imagine. Um, so, you know, I am looking myself and and looking at all my colleagues and peers to how do we fix this? Right. How do we change it? Like we shouldn't be here right now. So I'm very passionate about it. I don't have all the answers, but you know, I'm always looking for suggestions and I'm always looking to help however I can. But you're absolutely right. I, I can't even imagine what it would be like for somebody, you know, to feel so uncomfortable with being, being who they are in their workplace. We got to fix these things.
0: Well, not, not my, um,
2: my, my friend Amanda Jette Knox, uh, who
0: wrote a best-selling book last year, two years ago now it might be called "Love Lives Here," and it tells the story of how her daughter. Um, uh, came out to them as transgender and then her her spouse did as well. And it tells the story because Zoe was an IT professional as well and how her workplace completely embraced her new life and, you know, decorated her desk when she came back to work and was fully supportive and how that really, that really like saved her, you know, Sanity at work and just made her feel so much more um respected, and um that this was not a big deal, you know, for her co-workers. And that book is such a beautiful example of what happens when we lead with love and with um that that growth mindset, Sheila, that you talk about about how we just need to ask ourselves how we can do better. And I think that, you know, when you're leading from a place of love and respect your chances of doing things right just grow exponentially, right? So if we can all do that and embrace that, um, that mindset that, you know, we're not losing something we're gaining something when somebody is being their authentic selves with us.
1: So could it not be? And I'm kind of thinking um, because, you know, you all have careers and, and Sheila too, uh, you know, you spend so much time with work that work becomes your family And Susie, you're quite right. Like just now learning about this book, how her workplace became her family. Um, So maybe the answer does start with maybe some sort of support, peer support, whatever systems in workplaces to share stories like Sheila's and to have people like Charlotte and Kirsten come in. So there is that kind of, you know, two-way street. But I almost think it because I remember when I was with my company, my crew was my family I spent more time with them than I did with my own family at home so if I didn't have the right support system at work then I would just bring it back home and so one of my questions to all of you is when does bias become hatred and that hatred turn into racism which I don't know it, that to me is a gray area because well, it's a spectrum
0: Tracy yeah. it's a spectrum right and the, the, the toxic end is, is hatred and violence. And the, the beginning is the bias. And that's, but that's the part where we can stop ourselves, right? Like that's where we can reason our way out of it. Like Sheila says, you know, ask yourself like why you feel this way? What is it about this situation? Because as we've all, you know, experienced what you feel about something says so much more about you than who or what you're feeling it about, right? Like that's the key here. And that's where that introspection comes in and going, what is it that I am so upset about that makes me feel you know, uncomfortable or, you know, even hatred or whatever that might be, because there's something in me that's missing that is bringing about that feeling. I feel like I'm losing something, like I don't have something that I feel I deserve or whatever that might be. That has to do with that internal struggle, not what's actually happening out there.
1: Yeah, that I think probably can start, you know, festering in the workplace or a place where you're spending a great time, amount of time and you get influenced by your coworkers, right? So... Um, so I'm going to kind of change the subject, but it does happen to be about bias. Okay, so it was announced uh, in the news. Um, the uh, chairman of the board of the WHRA has now resigned. And Pallister has made this big announcement that if you have any kind of these titles or whatever, and you so leave this province for leisure, then you lose your stripped of your title. So I don't know. I guess I was biased, you know, when I heard saw that little article and he's, you know, he's working from Phoenix. And here he is, the chairman of the board of the biggest health authority in our province in the middle of a pandemic. I got kind of like, hey, you know, we've been all told stay at home, Um, whatever, you know, and there are other opinions. No, he's still doing his job. He's doing Zoom. He's in all the meetings. He's there, whatever. So I don't know. So there is definitely bias, (laughs) Kristen's leaning. Okay, go ahead, Kristen. I'm just going to say how ridiculous.
5: (laughs) That's all I'm going to, I'm completely with you, Tracy. I mean, to have a a position, um, you know, like chairman of uh, WRHA, and to think that your behavior is not accountable and that um, you are um, exempt from the rest of the population. Like, all I can say is... The gall, and um, I'm I'm just shocked that 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 individual even thought, well, this would be a good idea, um, you know, and it, and it speaks a lot to your actual integrity and character. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, um, how could you even defend that? Um, I I think I would have a really hard time uh, even telling. Well, I would never do it. I I I'd, I'd be up all night. I couldn't sleep because I knew it was wrong, right, morally wrong. <laughs> So that's my two cents, but if, if you don't agree with me, that's okay as well. But <laughs> that's my two cents.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Linda. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's shocking on one hand, but on the other hand, it's not, you know, um, people in positions of power are often feel that the rules do not apply to them. You know, we, we see that, um, you know, uh, politicians and uh, people who are heads of big companies really do not, you know, they they do feel that they have um, their own set of rules, their own set of like, you know, things that they deem acceptable for them. And uh, it it is a position of of privilege. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, um, uh, and it's, It really does run rampant in uh, positions of leadership. So, you know, I think it is our responsibility to hold those people accountable and to say, no, you know, there's not one set of rules for you and one set of rules for the rest of us. If we're all hunkering down in Winnipeg in January, we're all doing it together.
1: Like that's, we're, that's, that's the one time we can say we're all in this together. We're
3: all in this together. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. want to see you at Shoppers Drug Mart with your mask, and yeah. <laughs> I want to see pictures of you in Phoenix right now. You know, no, like
1: no, no, that's, that's for our <laughs> mental sanity, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! And then uh, to quickly, um, Susie, I want to mention to the um, our photographers are beautiful talented incredibly wonderful photographers that we have world-renowned uh, photographers and ones that are just starting a business it's been like a crap show for them um, since the get-go since way back like more than a year ago and now they're still struggling so you want to just sort of explain that they're now kind of taking giving themselves a voice actually right yeah, so this morning, um, or late last night, I guess, a group of photographers
0: throughout Manitoba penned a letter to the Premier premier uh, Minister Stephenson, as well as Dr. Brent Rustin and asking if they could go back to work, basically. Um, there are some provisions right now that allow for, say, e-commerce uh, photographers, and if you're employed by a news um, outlet to be working, but they're not allowing, you know, like things like Mm -hmm. household photos or newborn photos or if you're getting married you know justice of the peace whatever might be those kind of photos and so they're talking about how they would like to get back to work and obviously following all protocols that are in place and keeping distance and you know sanitizing and contact tracing all the things that are already in place for anybody else who is working you know and somebody made a great point like i can go for an hour long massage but i can't get family pictures taken you know and so that those kind of things are really like oh they make you go huh that's interesting so they pen this very um passionate letter uh to the powers that be and are looking for some you know lightening of these restrictions and hoping that they can get back out there to their to their clients and to the community and make some memories happen in this challenging time where perhaps for our mental and emotional health, it would be really nice to have some pictures of the people that we love that we can't be with.
1: Oh, I know. I know. And that's all right. And again, that plays into bias, right? Because there are people in our government making decisions on who can be open and who can't and, and whatnot. So yeah, it's just so prevalent in all of our lives. It's uh, Charlotte too, as well. Um, I guess, you know, Can we truly be unbiased? (laughs) Folks that can't see Charlotte, she's shaking her head going, no, no.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can keep them in check from time to time, but uh, (laughs) you go on, Charlotte.
4: Yeah, I mean, just, you know, even in just in all of our conversation just now, um, Kristen and I were back and forth, you know, because all of your biases were coming out in, in the dialogue that you were having with us today. So, I mean, you can, and it just in, in normal conversation, it's just part of who we are. And it's just, you know, acknowledging it and how to support ourselves in acknowledging them and going forward and making yourself a better person. Um, so to say you absolutely have zero, I won't believe you. So, Then
1: maybe I can flip it over. Can biases be helpful and good?
4: <laughs> okay. Susie,
1: what? What did you say, Susie?
0: I said that's Not- a great question. Yeah, <laughs> okay. a great question because we all. Okay, so one of my favorite uh, gifts from Sex and the City is Stanford Blatch telling Carrie that. We all judge. Okay. Some people do arts and crafts, but we judge. And it's just like these judgments exist for a reason, right? So that's the thing is that I'm talking about. Like you can always reason your way out of these things. So, um, one of the greatest books, and I recommend it to everybody, is uh, The Gift of Fear. And that talks about how our instincts teach us how to, um, you know, be wired for uh, paying attention to things that are happening around us that could be uh, detrimental to our health, our safety, all these things. Now, biases exist because we judge situations and we take in that information and we use that to apply to future situations, right? But when you're taking in wrong or skewed information, that affects your future decision making, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how you can sort of like Charlotte and Kirsten have been saying, just because you have biases doesn't mean that you have to exercise them all the time. That's when you can stop and say, okay, why does this bias exist in me? What did I experience that brought this bias about now that I recognize it? Now, does it actually make sense for me to keep that bias because it keeps me safe or because it keeps me you know, um, out of trouble or it keeps me you know, whatever it might be, or is it time for me to inform myself and educate myself out of that bias because it's not being helpful to me so i think that you know th- there are um you know biases like so for example if we were all by ourselves getting into an elevator with a man by ourselves you cannot tell me that you'd feel comfortable with that okay as a woman your your guard's going to be like oh i feel nervous in this place now is that a good or a bad thing depends on the situation, I suppose. you need to judge that situation with the, with the information that you have at hand. Now the the challenging part is is that are you going to feel that way every single time you get into an elevator? Don't know that's where you need to work on your uh, feelings in that moment and your experience and what you learned from that. I think it can be good, but that doesn't mean that you have to, Hold on to them. I don't know if I'm saying that right, Charlotte.
4: You're doing, we talk about our spidey senses all the time too, which are such an important part of all of ourselves. So so your analogy of the elevator, absolutely. That was a, a great, a great point. Um, you know, when, when something's not feeling right, we're always Chris and I spend a ton of time saying you got to follow through with why is it not feeling right? Why is everything in your body telling you that this doesn't feel right? Um, we encourage families to have these dialogues around with their children as well too, because, um, there's obviously something either the, something that's happened to you. There's some trauma that you don't know about that's addressing, you know, why you're fearful of the man or also it's just the situation too. It's it's things are saying that be on guard. Um, So yeah, Susie, thank you for acknowledging that too. And, and, and I'm going to look at this gift of fear because this is probably (gasps) a great tool to go along with our, our Spidey Sense conversation. I recommend it to every, especially
0: every woman I know, but everybody should read this book because it's so, so good about trusting your instincts and about really understanding that, um, you know, our cognitive abilities are great, but sometimes there is something that we can't explain that tells us something is wrong something is not right and we don't need to reason our way out of that per se or be polite or you know have fear about hurting somebody's feelings if we are in imminent danger all of those things are really important I think especially who are socialized to do all those things to acquiesce to you know be nice don't hurt anybody's feelings sometimes to protect yourself you need to hurt somebody's feelings so it's a great book great book yeah
4: thanks and I I just wanted to circle back to something that you know, you, you were brought earlier into it and, and same with Sheila. And it's, it's that um, uh, Sheila was mentioning diverse teams and, and to put it back into the mental health world, Kirsten and I talk a lot about um, nothing about us without us and having a seat at the table that, you know, Linda mentioned as well. And um, it in mental health world, so often, um, families and, and individuals feel silenced by Um, healthcare professionals or clinicians and stuff because they are the experts in knowing what should happen to the person struggling but it's also we have that we need to have a voice too because we're the experts on ourselves um, and we know what should feel right or what could feel right or what is going on with ourselves and so just adding that piece in as well into uh, you know what we've been talking to is so important. Kirsten you want to (laughs) continue?
5: Yeah, just, uh, and that's like, you know, that comes back to biases as well. Um, that's, you know, so often a family member or an individual, actually, if, if there's a treatment team or, or a meeting on that, that person's well-being and, and their mental health, they're not invited or included, um, you know, to have that seat at the table is so important um, because nobody knows, um, nobody knows you're, you're the expert on yourself. Uh, for one thing, and you, um, you know, it's sad that you have to fight to get that seat at the table. And as a family member, um, you know, you have such valid, important information to share. Um, and it's okay sometimes to ask for a plan B. We talk about that a lot. Things are put forth, and if it doesn't sit right, and your spotty <clears throat> senses are saying, you know what, um, I am in, not, I am not in agreement of this. It's okay to say, okay, um, can we talk about a plan B? I I, I understand. Um, and it comes again to that that the biases, and I have to out myself because, um, you know, getting so heated about the story that that hit the news about the uh, the chairman of WRHA, um, perhaps I have a a uh, bias against uh, certain people in positions of power that. May um, maybe uh, carry an ego with that, or think they're they, they're above something. Um, so that's a bias that that I have. And when we talk about um, can we can we actually get to a place where we don't have biases? No, we can't. We they are there. It's it's keeping that in check and keeping that healthy uh, and identifying it. And uh, it all comes from a personal action within. Absolutely.
1: Well, we wouldn't have conversations then because we'd have nothing to talk about <laughs> because we'd just all be agreeing. Oh, yes, I agree. I agree. Perfect world. Um,
4: I just did add a tiny, tiny piece. I, like, yeah. let's not just say it's all executives that are doing this. I, I know somebody personally who has both a Canadian and a US passport. She's in her 20s. Um, she's traveled up from her home in the States to Canada. Well, six or seven times since the pandemic, she hasn't quarantined at all because she's got a Canadian boyfriend. She lives in the States. And and when she comes here, she, um, there's always a party to, to celebrate her arrival. So
1: I, I know, so, I know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, But you know what, Uh, I think this conversation can definitely continue on I it spills on to so many things you know what, Sheila, thank you so much for joining us and now you have your open invitation anytime, please, we'd love to meet your your daughter and see if she can teach us some games I am like a total non gamer so, um, but you know all the best to her too as well. Thank so you. we'll continue this bias and next week we're going to have some guests on from NSI, so National Screen Institute, but they're doing some amazing things with uh, the Indigenous filmmaking world. So we'll have uh, Cheyenne from Montreal and uh, KF here from Winnipeg talking about some things. And hopefully I asked Susie to open the doors up to maybe invite some photographers to really hear their stories and and see how we can help them once their doors are open too as well, because we're all, we're all here to support Okay, so have a wonderful Tuesday. Enjoy this warm weather. We only have, I guess, I think today and tomorrow, and then it goes like to minus 29. So hunker down, hunker down with your gorgeous little puppy. I'm so jealous, Linda and (laughs) Charlotte, too. Uh, I want a dog. I want a puppy. All right. Okay, we'll see you.
4: Love you all. Take care. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Tracy. You're welcome. Bye, Sheila. Bye, Linda. Bye. Bye bye.
5: Thanks for listening. this has been a production of I Like You.com, podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Andrea Askowitz, and I'm Allison Langer.